Matthew chapter 8 this morning, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 8. Last week, if you were with us, we listened as Jesus finished his Sermon on the Mount, those Matthew 5, 6, and 7 chapters. His words were powerful and convicting, words that even today will peel the religious varnish off of our externalism and expose who we really are. The sermon is over, and today we follow Jesus as he comes down the mountain, that mountain of celestial teaching and ministers to the brokenness of human need in Matthew chapter 8. Follow as I read verses 1 to 13. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one. But go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed for I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes. And another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done to you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Father, we bow in your presence today and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for his healing and his teaching and his miracles that he performed. I pray that today, Father, that we would take these verses of Scripture and learn something of the compassion of Jesus for us as we sit here today. In his name we ask it. Amen. Today and next week, we'll be focusing on Jesus' healing ministry. It's not that this is the only chapters that he's done that, but... In chapter 8, we're going to see three different kinds of miracles that he performed. Notice in verse 1, when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. You know, a lot of times we love to be up on the mountain. We love to be listening and learning and absorbing the teaching of the Lord Jesus and, and feeding on his word. But Jesus is teaching us a lesson here. Sometimes, although it's wonderful to be up there studying and learning all, Jesus wants us to come down from the mountain of this celestial teaching to minister to the brokenness of human hearts. And if you're ever thinking about ministering 
teaching, you got to remember that wonderful balance of, of learning and, and enjoying the teaching, but also realize that you've got to meet people's needs. You've got to be there and minister to the broken. I notice here, first of all, his miracles in the physical realm, verses 1 through 17. There's three miracles that Matthew puts together here, and it's amazing that he is dealing with the outcasts of society. Jesus' first miracles as he comes down from the Sermon on the Mount have to do with lepers, have to do with Gentiles, and women. The three things that the Jews despise the most, you know. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees would often pray. Every day they'd get up, oh God, I thank you that I'm a man and not a woman. (laughs) And then I also thank you that I am a Jew and not a Gentile. And I am a free man and not a slave. That's an actual prayer that the Pharisees prayed all the time. Notice the purposes of Christ's miracles. Now, of course, one of the purposes is Jesus, love and compassion, and compassion. But these miracles prove, and the ones that Matthew especially are including here, are the ones that prove that Jesus is the King, the King of the Jews, the coming Messiah that was promised. And here, in these three realms, he is showing in the idea that he is master of the physical realm by healing people's physical needs. He is master of the natural realm by controlling the storm. He is Lord of the spirit realm by casting out demons. And we're going to look at that. Notice, first of all, the healing of the leper, the healing of the leper there in verse 2. And behold, a leper came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I think that I want to stop right there. If you are feeling like that leper, unclean, outcast, uh, lepers were completely cast out, Jesus is willing. He is more than willing to touch your life. Now, as we look at this, lepers were considered, they had to live apart from general society because the, the leprosy was highly contagious And it was also a symbol of sin in Scripture. You were not supposed to touch a leper. Yet the man came up to Jesus, and Jesus reached out and touched this this unclean leper and healed him of his leprosy. And that's exactly what Jesus can do to every sinner that are defiled by sin. Folks, we need to understand how bad sin is. Sin will consider you unclean to stand before a holy God. Sin will also take you and confine you to eternal torment in hell. But I want to tell you there's some good news. Jesus Christ can touch you, and you can believe in His death on the cross, and it can wash away all your sins. Jesus was willing to touch this leper and heal him. Now, notice what He tells to the man. After he cleanses him from his leprosy, see that you tell no one. (laughs) Isn't that weird? Don't tell anybody. (laughs) I mean, I thought we're supposed to tell everybody. Jesus Christ, you know, is our Lord and Savior. Well, Jesus told him instead of telling everyone that that is around, uh, go to the priests and tell them. This would be a testimony to the priests. 
And so it was for the entire history of the nation. There was no record of any Israelite ever being healed from leprosy other than Miriam in Numbers chapter 12. One can imagine the dramatic impact when a man suddenly appeared in the temple and announced to the priest that he was cured of leprosy. And of course, the priest knew the Old Testament. There was an exam that had to be made. They would have to examine their skin and all of that. And they would say, yes, you have been. Everybody said, yes, this man was a leper. I remember him. And we've got relatives that, that know that this one was the one that was a leper. And they would have the evidence. The priest would have it in, in their own sight. They would examine him thoroughly, and then they would say this question. Well, how did this happen? Jesus touched me. What a powerful testimony it would have been for the religious community. And, but the man could not wait. <laughs> he had to go and tell everybody. And he told the story. And, and it's possible that he, he did show up at the priest a little bit later. Presumably, he eventually made his way to the temple to show himself. But the healing of the leper, what a wonderful thing to start his Jesus healing ministry. Also, the healing of the centurion servant in verse 5. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, uh, Capernaum was where Jesus uh, based his, where he stayed, perhaps with Peter or Uh, Peter lived in Capernaum, but he stayed there in Capernaum when he was not on his Galilean and then Judean tour, but he was there. And a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Amazing. The healing of this centurion. Now, a centurion was a Roman soldier who had a hundred men under his command. Now, every mention of the centurions in the Gospels and in the book of Acts is commendable. They were usually men, gentlemen of high character and a sense of duty, and this man was no exception. The fact that he was even concerned about his lowly slave, he was concerned about this servant, showed that he was truly a commendable person. But he was a Gentile. Now, when Jesus says, I'm going to come to your house and I'm going to heal him, the centurion said, oh, no, you don't have to do that. He said, well, why didn't he want Jesus to come to his house? Well, he knew what the Jews felt. The Jews had this thing about not ever letting a Gentile come into their front door. Because if the Gentile would enter their front door, they would be ceremonially unclean. Imagine that. I mean, talk about prejudice. And so this centurion knew that about the Jews and said, no, Jesus, you don't have to come to my house. I understand. I know these, uh, you know, your, your people don't, don't like to have Gentiles. I, I, will, I tell you what, I believe in your power. I know that you're able to heal my servant. You just say the word and I'll believe it. Amazing. Because I'm a man of authority, I tell one servant, go, and he does, he goes, and another come, and I tell my servant to do this, and I know it's going to get done. If you say my servant's going to be healed, I believe it. And Jesus said, wow, I've never seen faith like that. Not in Israel. As a matter of fact, the Gentiles that believe that way will come from the east and west and they're going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God and the children of Abraham, Jacob, will be cast into the outer darkness. So it's about faith, not by birth. That's a good 
thing to learn, my friend. Your entrance into heaven is not because you were born a Baptist preacher's son. It's not because your mom and daddy brought you to church when you were a baby. It's, a, it's not by birth. It's by new birth. It's about faith. That's the only way you're going to be followers of Jesus. We see here that that is a wonderful healing. One word, great faith. Well, Jesus is not done healing. Now, he goes, he's in Capernaum, and he goes into Peter's house. And notice in verse 14 what happens. Now, when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. Jesus and the Gospels and the Scriptures are high on women. The Jews were not high on women at all. But Jesus touched Peter's mother-in-law. You know, there's an there's important lesson we can learn from here. I know our Catholic friends uh, believe that Peter was the first pope. Well, Peter was married. They said, well, how do you know? Well, he had a mother-in-law. <laughs> now, it would really be a bummer if you had a mother-in-law and not a wife. So we, we know that Peter uh, was married, and he had a family, and he was right there, and, and that's exactly the words of God right here. You know, this is important because it shows Jesus healing in the, his, his miracles in the physical realm, but that's not the only miracles Jesus performed in Matthew chapter 8. Next, go with me in verses 23 to 27 for a wonderful story, wonderful uh, occurrence here about his miracle in the natural realm. Listen as I read the story in Matthew eight twenty-three. Now, when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly, a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. <laughs> then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're, we're perishing. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? Oh, you of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him. The Sea of Galilee is, you know, we think of sea, we think, oh, wow, it's only 10 by 13 miles, you know, 10 miles wide, 13 miles long. Uh, I go fishing in northern Minnesota. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go in May in Lake Winnebagoshish. Say that real fast three times. We just usually say Lake Winnie. And we go up there, and it's 9 by 13, so every time I get up there, I'm just thinking the Sea of Galilee is this big, you know. And in some places I can see across it, you know. But it was 690 feet below sea level, the Sea of Galilee. And Mount Hermon, just to the north, rose 9,200 feet. So the distance and elevation, the winds would come off of Mount Hermon, and, and there could be sudden storms that like nothing is happening, and all of a sudden the wind's blowing and the sails are, are ripping, and, and there would be these sudden storms that arose on the Sea of Galilee. Well, this is happening. As a matter of fact, everybody uh, had a busy day of healing people, uh, uh, Peter's mother-in-law and, and the, the leper and the centurion servant, and other healings were mentioned in Matthew as well. And it was a long day, and Jesus was tired, showing his humanity, showing how, how physically hard 
that day was. And when he got into the boat, he went down to the back of the boat, probably covered up with a blanket or something, and fell asleep. And he was still sleeping, even though the boat was tossing and turning. As, as the description here is that the waves, the, the waves were covering the boat, and it was tossing. And then Peter came up, or one of the disciples came up and woke him up. It was a great concern, this great tempest, this wind and the waves. Save us, we're perishing. Marks it records it this way. Don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus stands up, oh, you of little faith. What did they just witness? They just the day before, they witnessed Jesus the first time in all the land that a leper was cleansed. A centurion servant was healed with a word at a great distance. Peter's mother-in-law, other demonized people were, were healed. And all of that happened. All of that happened. And they are thinking, oh, we're going to die. We're going to die. You know, no. All of you of little faith. The great command, what did Jesus do? Well, as he was there, they, he woke him up. The disciples woke Jesus up. And then he rebuked them for their lack of faith. And then he stand up and he rebuked the wind. How can we rebuke the wind? I just challenge you to get out and hurricane. <laughs> oh, you nasty wind, you stop blowing right now. You ever try that when you're out on the boat and the things? Stop this, stop this, and you waves, quit that. <laughs> Jesus said a word, and the wind stopped. Now, you say, well, that could have happened. You know, things come quickly, they go. How about the waves? When the wind stopped, the waves keep going, don't they? Jesus immediately spoke the word, and the wind stopped, and the waves was as flat as a glassy sea, at the words of Jesus, he commands the winds and the waves. And there was that great calm. So much so, in verse 27, the men marveled, who can this be, that even the winds and the waves obey him? They were marveled, oh, wow, I've seen Jesus heal. I've seen him do things, but this is somebody that can command the, the nature's force and cause this great calm and calm the storm. I've had my share of storms. I'm sure you have too. Financial storms, family turmoil. Had a storm recently on January 5th when my wife was taken into surgery for her blockage. Well, the I was pretty confident, and then they took her there, and the hours started passing by. There was one hour, hour and a half was supposed to be it, and there was two hours. Then there was three hours. Nobody else was there in that hospital room in Bayfront, Port Charlotte. I got on my knees by the chair, and I began to pray and began to say, God, please don't take her. Please don't take her. And she about died. She did. The doctor said, she could have died. And, uh, and that was a storm that I could feel the waves kind of coming over me. Have you been there? When you feel like your boat's going to sink, when you feel like you don't know how you're going to get through this, you know, one, or, one time or another, all of us have experienced in which we've 
felt like we are just a tiny little boat in the middle of a great ocean. We're tossed up and down in the middle of that ocean and around in the middle of a storm that wouldn't go away with our lives in danger and the chaos threatening at any moment to undo us and to rip our lives in two. And then we're reminded, hey, hey, Jesus is in the boat. And when Jesus is in the boat, it doesn't matter what storm because he is going with you. He's with you in the middle of that storm. That's a lesson that he wanted to teach those disciples, and it's a lesson you and I need to learn constantly. He is more powerful than any storm or any wind that you may face as long as he's in the boat with you. You've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. Oh, my friend, I don't know what people do that don't have Jesus in the boat. I don't know what you would do if you don't have Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I guess just do the best you can and hope for what, you know? I tell you, the Lord will get you through it. I'd like to look at the third series of miracles, third kind of miracles. And this is in verse 28 to 34. And this shows his miracles in the spirit realm. That's the third area that Jesus shows that he is the master of. He is the prince of peace, and he meets the prince of darkness. Listen as I read verse 28 and following. When he had come to the other side, that's after the storm, after that nice peaceful ride the rest of the way across the Sea of Galilee, they arrived on the shore, and they come out in the country of the Gergesenes. There met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Imagine that. I've never heard a demon talk and I don't care to. But these demons are speaking through this man. And this, uh, this was in the other Gospels called the Gadarenes, Gerasenes or Gadarenes. These are the two dangerous demon-possessed men as they accost Jesus and his disciples. And Mark and Luke refer to one demon-possessed man. They said, well, isn't the scriptures uh, you know, contradictory? Said, no, no. Mark and Luke are just referring to probably the spokesman of the demons, and the other one was there as well. Matthew records two, so there was two there. They recognized Jesus. Isn't that something? Most people Jesus met didn't recognize, but the demons recognized him right off. They knew that he was the Messiah. They knew that he had authority and power, and they knew their ultimate judgment. I want you to notice that these guys says, are you come to torment us before the time? What do they mean by that? Well, the Bible talks about the demons. There are some of them that are locked in the pit. There's some of them that are loose. Those are the ones that tempt us today. The devil uh, is not omnipresent, but there's many demons and he can be, the demons can be tempting you and be tempting you and be tempting somebody else in another country. There's, there's many of them. And there's some that are loose, some that are confined. And these loose demons, these two, the, the ones that well, accosted Jesus, says, 
Are, are you come to cast us into the pit? That is the place that Satan and his demons will be cast for eternity, and they'll be locked in, confined, and they're just asking, is, is it time for us to go? Oh, please don't let us go. Uh, don't send us to the pit. Send us, a, send us to the pigs. We'll be glad to go into the pigs. <laughs> and they go into the pigs. And you know what happens when those pigs get filled with the demons? The pigs, the, the demons can't control the pigs. I could just imagine those demons, where are we going? Where are we going? And the pigs are running off the cliff, and they go off the cliff, and they die there at the bottom of the pit, and, you know, bottom of the cliff there, and all the, the demons are, of course, Jesus probably sent them to the pit anyway. I don't know what happened after that. Scriptures didn't tell us, but they, that's the story there. I want you to notice the miserable condition of these men. Now, Matthew uh, just records that they are uncontrollable. And also, they're coming out of the tombs. How many of you would just love to camp out at the graveyard? Imagine living among the dead. That's where the devil likes to play. He, Satan is associated with death. He loves death. Because his greatest desire is to have you die and go to hell to be with him. And so he is associated with death. And these men are coming out of the graveyard, these tombs. And the Bible also says that they are uncontrollable. They're fierce. They have supernatural strength. They attack people as they're coming down the road. I can imagine you, uh, people, there's, oh, the demons are around here, these demon-possessed guys. Let's kind of go away from this area. They were accosting people and attacking people. They were fierce, wild, incontrollable. That's what the devil does to you, my friend. If he gets control of your life, he'll lead you and do things that are, are just terrible in your life. And, you know, Matthew doesn't record this, but uh, the parallel gospel accounts say that these men were naked. They didn't have any clothes on. The devil will lead you to take your clothes off. Sorry about that. It's just extra. <laughs> if you, you know, I think we need to wear a little bit more clothes uh, in our days. But these men were not clothed, and they terrorized people. They were out of their minds, and the demons were inside them, and they spoke to Jesus. The mighty command of the Master. Notice what he said when they asked him, don't let us go into the swine, he said one word, go. At the power of Jesus' words, these men's demons left them. They left them. And they ran over the cliff. Pigs did. Notice the marvelous change in the men. The other gospel accounts fill in some of the gaps about what happened to these men. The other gospel says that after Jesus had kicked the demons out of these two men, they went home. They went back to their hometown. They, they, they were so controlled by these demons that they had to live apart, but they went home and they were clothed. And they were also in their right mind. That old uh, demonic spirit was gone and they had the new spirit, the Holy Spirit, living inside them. This dramatic incident is most revealing. It shows what Satan does for a man. Robs him of his sanity and self-control. Fills him with fear. 
robs him of the joys of home and family, and if possible, condemn him to eternity of judgment. And then it also reveals what society can do for a man. Restrain him, isolate him, threaten him, but society can't change him. I don't know why we can't get that. I think a lot of times our, 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 our society says, just educate a man, it'll change him. Or, or just give him enough food, that'll change him. Or to make sure that uh, his education's paid for and all those things are, are taken care of. And people will be good. It, society cannot change the heart. Only Jesus can change the heart. That's why when we pray for America, pray that America will be saved. Because that's the only way to be changed. It doesn't matter if you put Democrats, Republicans, or Independents in office. The country's not going to be changed unless Jesus changes their heart. My friend, that's, that's the gospel. These, these society couldn't control these guys, couldn't change their heart, only Jesus could. But look what Jesus can do for a man. Society can't, the devil doesn't want, but Jesus can change a person's whole life. Hey, I want you to notice the herdsmen. The herdsmen saw this happen. In verse 33, then those who kept them fled and they went away into the city and told everything including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. Okay, let's see what happened here. Well, the, the guys that were in charge of the herds, now most likely these 2,000 pigs were owned by the community. They weren't just uh, owned by these, these men that were watching. That, uh, that was their job. They were watching these pigs. And of course, you know, Jewish society, they don't eat pigs. So there was a lot of Gentiles or backslidden Jews that were part of this community that had these 2,000 pigs. Well, what is happening in, the, the men saw, they, they went and they told the story. They told the story. And you know what they focused mostly on? All those pigs are dead. All of those pigs are dead. And, I mean, we watched them go over this and say, well, well how did it happen? Well, this guy, Jesus, cast out these two, and the demons went in there and all of that. And so they went all out. They went out to where the crime was, you might say, the the crime of the assassination of 2,000 pigs. And they went out there and they met Jesus. And you would think that, oh, Jesus, you're the one that healed these two demon-possessed men. They're back home with their families. Oh, thank you very much. No, no. You know what they did? We lost 2,000 pigs. Will you please leave town? <laughs> we don't want anybody like you around here. Ah, what a, what a lesson we can learn. I think there's three lessons that I, I want to share with you. How sad to witness the power of Jesus and not want the person of Jesus. They were more concerned about the loss of 2,000 pigs than the restoration of two men back to their society. Number one lesson, Jesus has power over the devil. I'm so glad I'm reminded of what 1 John says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Holy Spirit that indwells every child of God is greater than any satanic power that's out there. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The second lesson that I can learn, Jesus' love for people. I know this might upset the PETA people, you know. People are more important than pigs. Even 2,000 pigs. One soul 
It's worth the world. And Jesus was showing those are the people that are important. People that know, that have a God consciousness. And he was showing that they're valuable. The other lesson we can learn from this is that some people, when they're presented with the truth of the Lord Jesus, still want him to get out of town. I don't want you. You know, I, I can't imagine anybody not wanting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. He's the one that'll sail with you in the storms. He's the one that cares when no one cares. He's the one that can answer your prayers. But a lot of people know all of that, heard that story, and say, I don't want you in my heart. I don't want you in my life. Don't come into my town. Jesus demonstrates his authority over every area of life by his miracles. He's Lord over our physical lives. He's the master of the seas. He is the Lord over the spirit world, and nothing is beyond his power, and nothing in our lives is beyond his touch. Perhaps you're like Peter's mother-in-law suffering with a physical ailment. Maybe you're like the leper that is outcast and unclean. Or perhaps like the demonized men, you're being controlled by outside forces. Perhaps like the servant that is paralyzed. Perhaps you're like the the disciples that are blown to and fro with some storm, and you need something today, and what you need, Jesus' touch. I got good news. Jesus is on the boat. Bill Gaither said it very well in his song. Shackled by a heavy burden, neath a load of guilt and shame, then the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I'm no longer the same. He touched me, oh, he touched me, and all the joy that floods my soul, something happened, and now I know he touched me and made me whole. Since I met this blessed Savior, since he cleansed and made me whole, I will never cease to praise him. I'll shout it while eternity rolls. He touched me. Oh, he touched me, and oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me and made me whole. Bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, I know there's someone here, Lord, that is a believer, and the storm is about to tip their boat. Maybe they're afraid. Maybe the waves are crashing and and the wind is ripping them off of their place. Oh God, remind your child that Jesus is in the boat and he's going to calm that storm. I pray, Father, for one that may be here today that has never acknowledged their sin and have never accepted the Savior. Oh God, remind them. Remind them that all they need to do is reach out to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith and he will touch them and make them clean. God, speak to that heart. Whatever decision needs to be made, may your spirit work in lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I come to the King. Seeking mercy and grace, I come to the King.
Father, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, commanding the wind, commanding the demons, commanding sickness. I pray that, God, you would help us to trust him more. In Jesus' name, amen.